Right. Good morning, New Hope. How's everybody doing? Great. Uh, We have a special treat for you this morning. Uh, We're in the middle of our series on the Gospel of Luke. Hi, Pastor Hannah. Called The Great Reversal. And uh, each series, if you've been coming here for a while, uh, you know this, we like to do interviews. And if you're a guest this morning or have never seen one, surprise, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to do that. And so a lot of times, or you may be thinking this, and I, I, we get the question of why do we do that? Why do we do these interviews? We pay you to speak, Hannah and John, so why don't you guys just speak? You know, they may be thinking that. Lazy. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they yeah. may be thinking that. So there, there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, we want to be a learning community. So we want to be attuned to voices that can help us learn stuff. Um, If you don't know this already, you don't know everything. We don't know everything. So as followers of Jesus, we're to be humble learners. Uh, Second, we really value experts. So that's the Hebrew word hokmah. It means skillful living. Uh, And you can be an expert in a lot of different things, pretty much any craft out there, you know, uh, trades, crafts, and sports, and music, you can be hokmah. And certainly as we come to scholarship and scripture, we've got people who are hokmah. Uh, So, and then finally, uh, we value a diversity of voices. Hopefully you feel that on our teaching team and guests that we will bring in. But what an awesome world that we live in, that we have technology, that we can have an interview this morning with someone all the way out in Maryland right now. Isn't that incredible? So let's give it up for our tech team for the work they're doing this morning. I don't even know how they do it. Um, so we'll, what we'll be doing in just a second, we'll, uh, we'll say hello to Dr. Rebecca Eklund uh, all the way out on the East Coast. And she'll be on a screen in front of Han and I. We'll be sitting up here. She'll be on a screen there. I think she'll be on screens. There's screens everywhere. And then at the same time, we're live streaming this to a ton of New Hopers that can't be with us today. I don't know how you guys do it. It's magic. Uh, but that will all be happening. And if we have glitches, please forgive us. Be patient. We'll figure it out. First service, uh, I think, went pretty well. I had a good time. How about you? Great. Anything you want to add? Did I mess up on anything? Are we? Uh, no, so far, so far, you're so far, so good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. He forgot so, this scripture reading first. I did the first service. I totally blew past Michelle, and like we just didn't even do the scripture reading. But I brought her up later. All right. So we're already we're already doing better. So let me introduce uh, our new friend, Dr. Rebecca Eklund. So uh, Rebecca is a uh, scholar. She's got her PhD. She's a professor out at Loyola University in Baltimore, Maryland. She's kind of a specialist in scripture. Uh, she's an ethicist and she's a theologian. Uh, why we're bringing her today is uh, we're in the middle of Luke and we came up right to this port that you just heard, the, Luke's version of what's called the Beatitudes. And uh, I was like, who's an expert on the Beatitudes? And as you'll learn, Rebecca has written a book, took her five years of her life on the Beatitudes. So how cool is that we get to learn from somebody like that? So Rebecca, I asked her, like, what would you do? Uh, she's also an ordained minister in the Evangelical Covenant Church. I said, what do you like to do for fun? She said, she likes to bike and cycle and knit, and she's learning Portuguese, and she likes to cook. So I think I've exhausted everything I know about Rebecca. All right, so can we give a warm New Hope welcome to Dr. Rebecca Eklund. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, happy afternoon. It's getting to be afternoon out here in Portland, but definitely on the East Coast it is for you. And uh, thanks. You did such a great job. Our first service, and this is our, our second service. And thanks again uh, for, for being with us. Uh, really important question to kick things off. Uh, who you got in the Super Bowl? Like, what are your thoughts oh, no. there? Like, you know. Yeah, so I did do a little research this morning to learn who is in the Super Bowl <laughs> because my two teams are the Broncos and the Ravens, and since they weren't playing, um, I had to make a make a 
pretty easy choice. So I'm going for the underdog because uh, my research this morning showed me that um, they haven't been in the Super Bowl since I was in middle school. So I thought I would cheer for them and with sincere apologies if you're not, if you're not a Bengals fan. I, I tried to explain to Rebecca, and you don't want to try to explain things to scholars, but I did, that the word fan is fanatic. You can't be a fanatic <laughs> of two teams, right? Anybody with me? Go Cowboys. <laughs> uh, I'm going for the Bengals because they're the underdogs, and Jesus was for the underdogs, right? See, your words just sound like. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> here, Rebecca. Like, <laughs> all right, let's ask a more serious question. Well, before we get to the serious stuff, there's something really important for our church to know about Rebecca. So you posted on Instagram that, that we were going to be talking with you, and then um, Emily Greco, who used to be on staff here, and she just transitioned to Compassion a couple of months ago, she reached out to me and was like, I grew up in Colorado with Rebecca, and she sent us a picture of the two of you as well, which I don't think we have in the slides today. Most our tech team is extra amazing. Oh my gosh, they are! We didn't prepare you for that, Rebecca. I'm sorry, slash not sorry. But Emily was here in the first service, and we didn't show it. She, yeah, she, yeah. she missed it. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yes. Yeah, she, wow. That's her response. Just, wow. Yeah, it's a small world. I, uh, I'm also, I want to say, the first service, um, Hannah mentioned, I was on a shorter stool the entire time. I think they were pranking me. And I was really bothered by it, because I thought, is Hannah that tall? And I was like looking under the table. I don't know if you saw it, Rebecca. She was towering over me the first service, and they just made a mistake. Or maybe they didn't. Yeah, who knows? But I feel like this is better. I feel like we're on even keel. Okay. I'm, I'm it, more... it was such a power move. I was like at least I was literally troubled. I was trying to sit like this the whole time because you were really tall. I tried and... to slouch at first, and I was like, I'm owning it. Okay, we're, we're wasting time right, with the sorry. scholar. Let's get into it. Okay. So, Rebecca, you started out as a pastor, um, and then you transitioned into this, the world of scholarship. And I'm curious, what was that transition like? And what, what do you miss about being a pastor? And what do you love about being a scholar? Yeah, great question. So when I first made that transition, actually, what pulled me away from the world of being a pastor um, into my current job is actually the chance to be a teacher. Because after I graduated from college, I taught English for two years in Uzbekistan, and I loved it. But then I ended up going to seminary and becoming a pastor. But always kind of in the back of my mind, I remembered how much I just loved being in the classroom. I found it so energizing. And I really felt God kind of calling me back into, into that. So um, I decided to get my PhD and um, so that I could teach. So I've really kind of grown, I think, more gradually into being a scholar. And now is something that I really love. I think it's a real privilege, um, like Pastor John was saying to get to become an expert in something. Not that I've, you know, mastered it. It's not like I, I know everything there is to know. I'm also still learning. But to have the time and the resources to really dive into something and study it and learn it deeply has been such a such a gift and a gift that I hope that I can, you know, offer offer to the church in whatever way I can. I think what I miss the most about being a pastor is just being able to journey alongside people in their in their spiritual lives and their spiritual journeys and all of their joys and sorrows, visiting people in the hospital, um, praying at the bedside of someone um, who's about to pass into the next life, um, all those things I thought were were so um, such holy work, and I think I, I think I still miss those things sometimes. 
Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Uh, so I know from my scholar friends that um, you have wide-ranging fields. Like I think on your bio, it's scripture, ethicist, and theologian. Those are massive fields. So um, when you're in when you're in those fields and you get to choose to work on something, uh, you, you got to. I mean, there's many many options. I'd be overwhelmed. I'd be so excited to work on so many things. But as a scholar, you really have to focus. Um, we picked uh, you as as our, our interviewee today because of this book, The Beatitudes Through the Ages, which it's a beautiful look. Book, isn't it? No, and I just love that it's the matte finish. It's so soft. And yeah, and you can nice. see the highlights in there that I've been reading it. So yeah, I just want you to know. But I, I, I <laughs> highly recommend this. And uh, it, it won a bunch of awards. My prof that I'm studying, Scott McKnight, had it on one of his books of the year, and my other friend, Nijay. And so it's, it's been acclaimed, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so I'm just wondering of all the things you could study and kind of become an expert in, why the Beatitudes? Mm. Yeah, well, shout out to my publisher, Erdman's, for designing that beautiful cover, which I also really love. It's so soft. <laughs> um, but so I actually wrote my dissertation on what's called the prayer of lament, which is basically the prayer in scripture that's like crying out for help to God in the middle of trouble or sorrow or pain. And one of the texts that I looked at when I did that dissertation was a beatitude that's actually in Matthew's gospel. So it's not in Luke's gospel, which is the one that you just heard read. But one of the beatitudes that's in Matthew's gospel is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I just remember when I started working on this, I was really struck by that. I thought, well, why are people who mourn considered blessed by Jesus? Um, what does it mean to mourn? What kind of mourning is, is in view here? So I kind of filed that away in the back of my head. I thought I'll come back to that. And then um, I got really interested also in what's called, um, in my scholarly world, reception history, which is just a way of saying, um, can we look back through the 2,000 years of the church's history and see how other Christians from the past have interpreted scripture and tried to apply it to their own lives in their own times and places all around the world, um, all throughout history? So I decided... I wonder what people thought about the Beatitudes in these past times. Um, so I went, I went looking and took me five years to read my way through. Not everything, because there's too much, but I, I certainly read a lot of things. Yeah, we say, uh, we say around here a lot, the Bible wasn't written to us, but for us. And that's an important mm -hmm. distinction. There was an original audience, there's an original author, and to understand what it means for us, we have to kind of get in the minds, have a conversation with the original audience. I think what your book has shown me in that term reception history, if you caught it, a layman's term for basically Rebecca spent five years studying 2,000 years of how people have received, studied, and lived out the Beatitudes. That's incredible. Like you can go into one of the Beatitudes in a chapter and just deep dive over 2,000 years. And I think my gap has been like, man, we have to have a conversation with all of those folks to think that we've arrived in 2022 and we have the corner on the truth. Uh, we don't, by the way, look around, but it's also what I call chronological snobbery. We, don't, we need to look back. We have a legacy of faithful men and women who have followed Jesus, lived out the Beatitudes. What did they say? How are they interacting? It helps us expose blind spots. So again, I can't wait to do a series on this in the future. This will be where I start for my study because you've done the work for us and we're really uh, grateful for that work. Rebecca, you mentioned just a minute ago how there's the Beatitudes are present in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. So as you've been immersed in this the last five years, what are some of those key distinctions between the two gospels that you've, that you've seen? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so in Luke's gospel, as you just heard read, there, there are four Beatitudes, and they have those accompanying woes. So there's a blessing on the poor, and there's a woe to the rich. Um, Matthew's gospel actually has eight Beatitudes. So he has four Beatitudes that, that really match or line up to Luke's Beatitudes, but they're also a little different. So when Luke um, has the blessing on the poor, Matthew has a blessing on the poor in spirit. And where Luke has a blessing on those who hunger, Matthew has a blessing on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice. And then Matthew adds four unique Beatitudes that are only preserved or recorded in his gospel. So you have the blessing on um, uh, the merciful, the pure in heart, the meek, and the peacemakers. And so th those are the ones that, that Matthew has that, that Luke doesn't have. And I think sometimes people put these two in kind of opposition to one another. Well, Luke's are all material and Matthew's are all spiritual. And certainly Matthew, I think, emphasizes the spiritual aspect more and Luke emphasizes the material more. But I like to see them as complementary, that kind of putting them into conversation with one another is where we really start to see the richness um, of this, these words that Jesus preached. Yeah, thanks for that. A couple uh, kind of drilling into the Beatitudes as we look at them. Um, and people may not may or may not know this, but there's kind of a, a, a raging debate over the years through reception history on how people treat the Beatitudes. And I don't want to overly simplify it, but um, the argument goes, or the question rather, uh, are they commands to be obeyed? So you know, we heard them prior to you coming on. Are there things that I'm to obey, like a law, like a command? Or are they descriptions of what it looks like to become a follower, to become, you know, are they more like fruit of the spirit or are they more like commands? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So this is something I discovered the more, the more I started reading that, that this, this distinction, you know, are they this or are they that, in some ways is a really modern invention. You know, if you looked at the way Christians dealt with them throughout history, um, I don't think they saw it as a choice between one of those two things. They would say, well, I mean, both of these things are true. Let me say what I mean by that. So on the one hand, are they descriptions um, of, you know, um, states that God favors? So um, God, is, God is on the side of the poor and, and is with those who weep and um, is with those who hunger. Um, but these aren't desirable states necessarily. These are things that God um, promises to, to overturn. Um, the hungry will be fed. The weeping will be comforted. Um, uh, or um, are they things that, that um, God says you should be like this, be merciful, be poor in spirit, be humble. So are there things that we're, we're supposed to do, we're supposed to kind of, you know, model ourselves after those things. Um, I like the description of the Beatitudes that they're more like um, invitations. And they're invitations into um, what people sometimes call like a, a Jesus-shaped life or a God-shaped life. So... Um, on the one hand, um, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a famous um, theologian who opposed the Nazi regime, um, one of the things he said about the Beatitudes is like, look, if you follow Jesus, you're probably going to become poor and hungry um, and, and someone who weeps and is hated. Um, so he just kind of assumed this is something that's gonna happen to you if you genuinely follow Jesus. And you could see in his own context why that might be true. Um, but I, I think at the same time, um, 
if Jesus is merciful and if Jesus is a peacemaker um, and we're followers of Jesus, which is, I know, the mission of your church, then shouldn't we model our lives after those things? So I think of the Beatitudes as a kind of invitation into a, a way of life that, that is for a follower of Jesus. Yeah, write that phrase down, <laughs> invitation into a Jesus-shaped life. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. As you, as, uh, so if our folks, like maybe people who have never read the Beatitudes, this is new for them, and that's wonderful, or maybe it's been a long time, and they go home today, and like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Luke 6, 20 through 26. And um, based on your, in your study, you kind of go through each of them in detail. Which beatitude for like a typical, you know, Western thinker living in 2022 is maybe most misunderstood? Uh, there's a chance because we just don't, it's the word that the translator uses or like, where's the biggest gap? Or maybe another, another question would be like, which one do you, do you find that most people, maybe this is more your pastoral work, that most people tend to overlook conveniently. You know? mm -hmm. So misunderstand yeah. and overlook. Yeah. Um, this is a good question. I mean, I guess I, I'll throw out a couple of them, but one of them is, is one, of the, one of Matthew's. And, and I think it's the blessing on the meek. And this one completely blew my mind when I started working on it. Because I always thought meekness, you know, it's like being timid or shy. You know, a meek person kind of just lets things happen to them. Um, but what I found is that throughout almost all of history, until about the 1700s, Christians just assumed that um, a meek person was someone who didn't lose their temper. It didn't mean they never got angry. Um, but a person who is meek... Um, is someone who knows how to be angry at the right things um, for the right amount of time, doesn't hold grudges, um, doesn't fly off the handle at, at small things. And I just thought, that's what meekness is? I had no idea. Um, and this is one place, I think, where the, the English word um, can get us into a little bit of difficulty because it just resonates so differently. So some English translations tra translate this one gentle, and I actually like that because I think that captures a little more what, what it meant in, in its original context. Um, I, you know, I, I was thinking about this more after you asked me this question this morning. And I, I wonder if sometimes the blessing on the persecuted is one that is difficult for particularly modern Western Christians. There are certainly Christians all over the world today who are genuinely persecuted, right? Um, who are killed for their faith, um, who have to flee their homes because of their faith in Jesus. But I think for us today, um, it, it can be a kind of temptation to... to um, a, put ourselves into the persecution category for relatively minor things. Um, so I think this one, there's a little bit of a, of a danger there to, to, to place ourselves in that category for things that might not be real persecution. So, so that one, I think, is depending on your context and where you are, that one can be more of a challenge. That's why this scholarship is so important, right? Because we read things in our context, with our language, with the translations that you know we have. But to have not only the reception history, but then also how did you know this word kind of evolve over time? So I'm super grateful for that. I yeah, when you shared that first service, I was like, what? I had no idea that anger and meekness would be tied together. I think we need all. more meekness, as she mm. described it, in our world and in our churches and our nation. Yeah. Uh, that's beautiful. In our social media, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes, and Twitter. Yeah. Um, another one of the words I'm curious about, too, is the word blessed. So in your studies, how have you seen that word blessed understood and received by Christians that have come before us? How do you understand what, you know, is it like 
hashtag blessed? Is it like, oh, bless your heart? Like, what is, what is the, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question because it's another word that um, can be a little misleading, I think, because it's not either of those two examples, right? It's not, like, I, I live in the South now, so I had to learn how to use the phrase bless your heart appropriately, which is <laughs> kind of fun um, when you get it. But so, no, what it, what it is is um, it's, it's, a, it's a translation of a Greek word that can also be translated happy um, or fortunate, um, sometimes um, in more kind of, um, like, uh, looser translations, you see like, congratulations too, or um, good for you when dot, dot, dot. Um, and so I think what it, what the word means is like, it's identifying that's a good way of life. People who live that way, that's good. Um, those people are flourishing. And I think one of the things that this way of understanding the word blessed helps us to see is that um, Jesus is declaring good and flourishing um, and favored ways of life that aren't necessarily things that our normal culture celebrates or uplifts. Um, being poor and hungry and uh, merciful and um, a peacemaker. Um, these are these are kind of countercultural values, but still Jesus is saying, no, if you live that way, that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way to really flourish. Yeah, let's let's continue on that vein. I think that's a provocative uh, path to travel. The, the we've been uh, calling our series of Luke the Great Reversal, and I know there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways. I mean, you're the Luke scholar, you're writing the commentary, so feel free to push back if we're missing something. But that's from Dr. Justo Gonzalez. I, I, I kind of took that from his scholarship, and so we're following that thread throughout Luke that Jesus seems to be turning things upside down, inside out, that when people collide with Jesus, they change, (laughs) sometimes even when they don't want to. Um, So then we have the Beatitudes, and I think that you kind of framed it up, but I want want you to talk more about it and pastor us a little bit in this, like how do the Beatitudes work in Jesus's great reversal plan? Because my daughters are listening today. There's lots of young people listening. And, you know, they, we grew up in a world, and I'm not hating upon our world by any stretch. We have lots of blessings. But you're told what flourishing is from young. It's kind of like woven into your DNA. And we don't need to, to list things, but we could probably come up with a list of, like, this is what it means to win in life, to be successful. And then you read the Beatitudes, you're like, whoa. That's different. And then I love the way you define the word bless. I hope I remember that. Congratulations to you. That's incredible. Like if you live that kind of life, congratulations. That's not what you feel upon first reading with your Western mindset. Can you talk more about that? How does, how does Jesus' Beatitudes, which I think you claim in the book, could be the most transformative words ever written? They're the most talked about. They're the most, you know, they just, I thought that, that was an interesting thing. But how does this fit in Jesus' great reversal plan? Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right that that this is where they fit in this in this great reversal concept and huge fan of Justo Gonzalez, by the way. So I love that you're I love that you're using his work. And, you know, what the great reversal, I think, is really summed up in in a saying that Jesus says over and over again, especially in Luke, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So people who are first, um, and you know, we can think of all the ways that, that our society considers people first, right? The powerful, the wealthy. Um, Jesus says those people will be last in the kingdom of God. Um, there's this reversal. And people who we think of as last, 
um, the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, people without power. Um, those people will be first because in the kingdom of God, um, God, God values sort of the opposite things that, that we tend to value. Um, and, and God goes down, um, and in fact, it, it inhabits with them. Um, so there's, there's a parable that's actually in, in Matthew's gospel, um, but I think fits into this theme where, um, Jesus tells a, a story, tells a parable, and he says, um, uh, anytime you saw someone who was hungry and you fed them, anytime you saw someone who was thirsty and you gave them a drink, anytime you saw someone in prison and you went to visit them, you did that for me. Um, and people respond to this and say, did we, <laughs> we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know that was you. And Jesus says, but it was. So I think it shows that, um, where do you want to go to find Jesus? Well, that's where you go. You go to people on the margins and the prisoners and the sick and the poor. And Jesus says, that's where you're going to find me. Um, you find me with people who choose to give away their power, um, rather than people who choose to dominate. So I think that's how the Beatitudes sort of fit into that theme of the great reversal. Oh, this is way too convicting. Should I ask the next question? Whew, it's getting, is it getting hot in here? I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's so much, like, spiritual formation work, like, embedded in that, of this, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to reorient our life, our loves, our priorities around this way of Jesus? And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about how that work has happened in you as you have spent time, a lot of time in, in these words, what's that process been like for you? Yeah, I love that question. I, and I love your phrase, like allowing the spirit to reorient our lives and our loves. I think, um, I, I didn't expect to like be transformed by writing a book, you know, it was like, this is a scholarly enterprise. Um, but I think the Beatitudes really started to get under my skin. Um, and I, I really started to think like, hmm, do I find myself here? Do, do I recognize myself in these, in these blessings? Um, am I a fortunate one? Um, I thought a lot about meekness and anger, um, how I express anger, how I hold on to things. Um, do I get angry at stupid small things? Um, uh, where do I find myself in the blessing on the poor or the woe to the rich? Um, you know, how do I, how do I use my material possessions? Do my possessions make it harder for me to be humble or to be poor of spirit, um, to know my need of God and others. So, so I, you know, I, I found these challenging in some ways, but I also, I also, um, I think I prayed a lot about them and about how I could be more merciful and ask the Holy Spirit to, you know, give me these gifts. I want, I want to live into this way of life. Uh, our mission statement here is to follow Jesus and share his love. So this is kind of as we start to wrap up the interview, we want to, you're a pastor as well, and I'm sure you preached uh, many a sermon. So I want to give you an opportunity to maybe take off the scholar hat and put on the pastor hat and pastor us a little bit, you know, as we're this kind of ragtag Jesus following community in Southeast Portland, trying to find our way, trying to be faithful and be uh, a colony of heaven here on earth. Um, how can the Beatitudes help us? I mean, I, I, I think people that listen to me speak, and I know, Hannah, you feel this way as well, we're, this is a unique historical moment. I think for all of the world, uh, both with challenges we're facing, but the speed of change and the state of the church in many ways, but I think it's also an opportunity for the people of God to rise up when there's just so much need and be mm -hmm. the body of Christ. 
-hmm. How can the Beatitudes help us fulfill our mission to follow Jesus and share his love here in Southeast Portland? Preach. Yeah, I love that question. So um, I, I, I want to give a definition, but I want to give due credit to where it came from. So I'm a little bit obsessed with the TV show, The Chosen right now. I don't know if you all watch it or if any anyone here is familiar with it, but um, in that TV show, in one of the episodes, um, Jesus gives a definition for what the Beatitudes are that I loved. And he said, um, he said, they're a map for where to find me. Um, if you want to find me, um, this is, this is where you go. And I think that is so brilliant because, um, one of the things that all Christians throughout all of history for 2000 years agree on is, um, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, um, this is the description um, Jesus is the one who weeps, right? He weeps at the grave of his friend, Lazarus. Um, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem because he so wants to gather them up um, and, you know, let them uh, be loved by God. Um, he is persecuted. He is merciful. He is the peacemaker um, between us and God. Um, so, so his whole life shows us what these, what these look like. Um, some people describe the Beatitudes as his autobiography, um, and so I think if we want to be followers of Jesus, and I think one of the main things that means is we try to, as much as possible, show the world what Jesus looks like. Um, and, you know, we can't do that by ourselves. I think that's why we do this in community, right? As a community, can people look at us and say, oh, that's what Jesus looks like. Um, they're, they're people of mercy. They're, they're peacemakers. Um, they, they know how to use anger <laughs> rightly um, toward, toward justice. Um, they're in relationship with people who are hungry and poor and, and they go toward that. Um, so I think um, I, that's how I think of them. They're, they're a kind of roadmap toward that brings us closer to Jesus. Can I, uh, can I give everybody homework? Do I have your permission? Are you guys okay with that? You ever, you ever see spiritual formation, so I figure right. I shouldn't. All right. You give the assignment, and I'll, I'll make edits as needed. Okay. <laughs> so here's, here's the assignment, and, and I, was, I, I didn't plan on saying this, but I was provoked in the first interview uh, to kind of cast this vision. I want to do it myself. Uh, read Luke 6, 20 through 26. Find a quiet place sometime this week, or if you want the extended version, go to Matthew's uh, version. And I love that idea. One, it's in first phrase, it's an invitation into the Jesus-shaped life. So it casts vision for us. I think we need vision as God's people right now. But secondly, I love that idea. I'd never heard it before that, that it's really a portrait of who Jesus is. You know, on dark days, how the church shows up sometimes, we may think that Jesus isn't these things. This is the true vision of who Jesus is. And our mission is to follow Jesus and share his love, to be disciples, to literally, to use Paul's terms, to become like Jesus. So it shows us what we should be increasingly becoming. And, if, and here's the homework. Do the hard work. Be honest. Don't be self-deceived. It's hard. And read those things. And where, how does your life kind of measure up? This isn't a shame exercise. There's no shame here. It's an invitation. And the Spirit of God entering and us walking in step with the Spirit and by grace being transformed into people. Is that all right? Do you want to yeah. amend it at all? Well, I just think that that, I mean, I love that when we hear like, you know, the measure up language, it can, can it induce some of that shame. But really, it's like an invitation into faith and trust that like Jesus is your way of life, like the, the life that is truly life. Is it the way of flourishing? I think Rebecca used that word earlier. And so I think that and I would just add like, where is that stretching your faith, you know, to pay attention to that as well? I mean, can you, can you imagine all over the globe if 
churches and colonies of heaven, as the term I like, begin to look more and more like the Beatitudes. Can you imagine? I mean, what that would mean for the world, the goodness and the grace and the beauty and the wonder and the transformation. So, I mean, it gets me, gets me truly excited in my own personal journey. I, have, I mean, I don't want to go through each of those. I'm kind of daunted by those. But I love that it's an invitation uh, to become the kind of people God created us and redeemed us to be. Uh, so, uh, Rebecca, the book is really, really fantastic. Um, Rebecca's a scholar. Some scholars write to scholars, and I'm sure she's able to, and maybe in your dissertation you did that kind of stuff. Most of you would just be like, you know, no offense, right? You're just like, I, don't, I can't follow that stuff. Uh, but Rebecca's a, a, she, Rebecca's a scholar who writes to the church because she loves the church. And so you can totally read this and take it slow. And if you really want to get the nuts and bolts, I mean, you can journey over 2,000 years of how the people of God have wrestled with the Beatitudes, how they've lived them out. And I'm confident it will deepen your faith. So highly recommend the book. And uh, uh, Rebecca, just thank you for your scholarship. I know being friends with scholars, it is hard, lonely work. I know that you love it, um, but it's difficult. And you're in the shadows serving the church. I mean, most people don't know when Han and I prepare a sermon, we go to commentaries and books like this to help us sound not like idiots. I mean, that's easier for me. It's, it's, it's easier for you. It's harder for me. I was like, where are you going with this, John? Just insulted you. Um, I meant to insult myself. Um, it's, and, and it does. It, it makes us sound like, oh, we're, we're, we're just learning from folks uh, like Rebecca and the hard work she puts in behind. So you're part of the body of Christ. And so just on behalf of our church, you made an impact on our church today, and we're grateful. Thank you. So can we, uh, can we give our, our thanks to Dr. Rebecca Eflin? And uh, Rebecca, we'd be super honored if you would pray us out, pray over our community as we go to the Lord's table. Thank you. I would be really honored to do that. Before I do that, let me just very quickly say uh, thank you so much for having me with you today. Um, such a joy to be with you. I really want my scholarship to be a gift to the church. So I loved getting to hang out with you all this morning. So um, let's gather our hearts together and let us pray. Gracious God, um, we are so grateful um, that you hear your children when we pray to you. Um, we're so grateful that we can bring all of our lives um, into your presence um, in all their mess and complexity. We bring you our hopes, our fears, our joys, our angers. We pray that you would heal us where we hurt, that you would redeem our losses, that you would um, celebrate with us in our joys. Lord, I pray for New Hope Church. I pray that they would be a light in the city of Portland. I pray that they would be people who are known as people who hunger for justice, who are peacemakers and people of mercy, people who love you. As we go out into our week today, Lord, um, whatever we do in our, in our schools, as we go to school, as we, as we teach, as we go to work, as we work in our homes, as we watch football and sports, um, we pray that we would always be oriented toward loving you and toward loving our neighbor. Um, draw us deeper into your love. Forgive us when we fail because we know we're going to fail, but pick us up, dust us off, and help us to continue to walk on this way that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Rebecca. Have a great day.